Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. Our guest this month is MK Don's manager, Russell Martin. He spoke to Simon Austin about the importance of people and purpose, why he won't change his style of play, and the influence of Buddhism on his life and career. Over to Simon. Thank you for joining us on the podcast, Russell. Thanks for having me. First of all, what are you up to at the moment? What does close season involve for you? Well, recruitment mostly, I think, um, making sure we get that right. We've had a big structural change at the club recently. So we've we promoted from within and, and appointed a sporting director uh, and a director of performance, uh, Liam Sweet and Simon Crampton, who have stepped up to those roles uh, after Andrew Cullen left um, to go to Portsmouth, which I think is, you know, it's, Andy was brilliant and a huge support for, for myself and, and everyone. Um, but it's given people an opportunity. I think change brings around opportunity and I'm really pleased that the chairman's been brave enough to go with the structure that he has because I think it's a modern day structure. I think he's got people that are really capable in there. So I've been playing a part in all of that really, uh, how that's going to work, the job roles, the job descriptions, how we're all going to work together. Um, and that's taken a lot of work. It's taken a lot of discussion and conversation to get to the point where everyone's really happy with how, how we're going to work. And hopefully it will streamline how we work and make us more efficient. And then, because of that, now we have to appoint other roles within within the club or the team. Um, so Simon's stepping away, not completely from his physio duties, but he is not going to be as involved because he has a lot more to do now. So we we'll need a physio, we need a recruitment analyst um, and a couple of other members of staff around the place. So getting that recruitment right, as well as players, is huge and really important. And yeah, constantly speaking to, to Liam on recruitment, to the staff, uh, planning for pre-season. So it's the off-season, but... Um, as we discussed quickly before before we were started recording, um, I've started to realise very quickly that as a manager, there's probably not much of an off-season, if that makes sense. As a player, you can go away, recover, obviously stay training, stay fit, but mentally you don't have to stay too intense or too active. You can really focus on on, on resting and, and, and enjoying yourself for a little bit. Um, as a manager, it's... Is still is full on. So, but what I am doing is I'm doing it from home, which is lovely. So I can I've done the school run this morning. I'll pick my kids up later. It's just the hours whilst they're at school. You you're busy and, and locked away in the office and, and watching players and speaking to people, making sure you try and get as much right um, or play as much as you possibly can for next season. And can that be hard? That switching off from the football, so you do have time with the family and you are present with them. Yeah, when I was going through my coaching badges and. Um, you know, talking to various people, I always say, no, it can't be too hard to get a balance. You know, you must be able to get a balance, but it is so full on. It is so intense. And it's just because you're not, it's not only the players, you know, it's everything around it. It's talking to the, the people above you and the board, the directors, the chairman, the staff that work with you, your colleagues. So it's, it's just full on. It's, uh, and there was times early, especially really early on when it was just so, we were in such a tough position when we took over to really try and get things right. You feel like you have to just, you know, give it everything. And you do, and it, it is intense because if you want to be successful, it takes a lot of hard work. But yeah, I never want to be that guy who has no no balance or isn't present with the kids. So it's something I've worked really hard on over the last few months, especially being really present with the kids. On a Sunday, you know, it's, up, it's our one real full day off a week. So um you know, I've started leaving my phone in, in a drawer on a Sunday when we're going out to kids' football and going to the beach for the afternoon or whatever it is um, and just dealing with it when I come home later on when the kids are in bed. So just to try and help myself be really present with the kids and, and really focused because, you know, before we know it, they're going to be growing up and we're going to miss these. Um, and, and I just don't want to look at it with any regrets. I want to try and do 
um, both to the best of my ability, being a manager and, and also, but the most important thing, being a father and a husband and, and you know, part of the family. You know, at the end, I, say, I genuinely believe at the end, when we all get to the end, whenever that is, I think the most important things you look back on are connection, relationships, experiences, and to miss out on some of those and sacrifice them for one thing. I think it's, yeah, it's pretty short term would be pretty sad. So listen, I, I am all in with the football. I, I love it. We're doing everything we can. We work seriously long hours, but when it's time to switch off now, it's time to switch off and uh, I'm getting better at it slowly, slowly but surely. Excellent. Um, and we've written quite a lot about the sporting director actually, and there can still be a little bit of mistrust about it in this country. Um, so how does it work with the recruitment? Because that tends to be the biggest area of concern, I think, for managers, that they'll lose control of that. Yeah, no, I think um, I think it's about having alignment. I think what, what will happen is more, more sporting directors will, the manager will be chosen by the sporting director and the board, of course. And then the manager goes in with his eyes really open as to what's happened because they set the, set the parameters and have real clarity in how it's going to work early on. If the manager doesn't like it, you don't accept the job. I think... Well, from what my experience, what I've seen, how I've seen it work at Norwich, when obviously we changed um, as a player there, we changed the, the structure and brought Stuart Weber in as a sporting director. His job was, you know, I spoke to him a lot through the period of transition when he first came in, and his job, you know, was to help improve every structure. You know, I've listened to Dan Ashworth on your podcast about, you know, the wheel and, and the people he's in charge of. So it's to try and improve everything, um, improve every department make them accountable and, and try and empower them to do the, to the best of their ability. Um, and in terms of recruitment, I think in this country still, it's still only seen as that sporting director. It's like a glorified head of recruitment. And it's not, it's not. It's football's such a big industry now. It's a big business. I think gone are the days when you can have a CEO who's an expert in football and an expert in managing people and an expert in business and an expert in finance. It just doesn't happen. So um, Norris decided to run the business side with a, with a general manager and the football side of a sporting director, and then they come together and report to the board, and um, it makes complete sense to me. So when it became clear and, and Andrew Cullen was leaving our club, you know, it was really important to me that we got that structure right. And with recruitment with us, how it works is that we have a really clear vision of what we want or how we're going to do it, which makes it much easier to filter out players that we are will be interested in or to analyse the data that really is important to us in certain positions. And then all of a sudden, you know, we filled out a lot of players by that point. So by the time we're even talking about them or looking at them, and then it's Liam's job, obviously he was head of recruitment, to then watch players, give us reports on players, what he thinks, give us all the, the, the data and analysis on that player. Um, and then for us to discuss in depth. And I think Liam always comes with two or three of his personal, these are my recommendations. Um, and we might have one or two outside of that as well. And then we all sit down and discuss what the best one. So it's really collective. And by the end of it, it's not on one person, you know, oh, if this goes wrong, this is your sign. It's not like that. We've all agreed that, yeah, this is the person or these are the two people we want to go in and we'll be happy with either one of them. So now Liam's job as sporting director will be to go and negotiate and try and make sure that we can make them, make them our player. Um, and talking about Stuart Webber, I, I always think he's probably the purest example of a sporting director in this country because he is very much in control of the, the football side of Norwich. What was it like as the senior player there when he came in? How did you view it? Because he was quite ruthless, wasn't he, really, early on? Yeah, I, th I thought he was excellent. And what I liked about Stu was he um, he asked everyone's opinion, whether you were the, you know, the nutritionist, the chef, the sports scientist. He had chats with every single person, spent a lot of time just observing, really. 
He didn't come in from day one and say, this is how we're doing it. He spent a long time observing things. And then obviously he chose his manager. So he started influencing things that way. Then the environment, physical facilities, trying to improve them as much as possible because they weren't good enough for the level the club were at. And if you go to the training ground now at Norwich, you can see the impact that he's had because it's incredible from, from where it was. It is, you know, it's so improved. And then it was about getting the best people he could for the roles that he he saw he needed to improve and how he could shape things. So, um, and and the, 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 the one of Stuart's best traits is he, he's a doer. He really gets things done. And he's he's brutally honest with people, but everyone knows where they stand from day one. So it's, um, yeah, I really enjoyed working with him. I still, you know, we still have a, uh, I speak to him a lot now for advice. And um, obviously we've got a good relationship with Norwich in terms of the players. We've had a, a few players on loan from there. So, uh yeah, I understand what you mean when you say he's probably the purest one because he does. He ha- there's no grey areas there. He has control of football. He's got an owner who is... The owners are incredible because they really trust and, and give them that control and ownership, which is really important, you know, because if you're going to be a sport director, you're going to be in charge of it and you're going to be accountable for it, then you need to, you know, it's like the, it's like the manager of a football team. If, you, if I'm going to be in, accountable for my team, then let me do with my team what I, I feel is, is right. Uh, and then you can judge me on that at the end. And he's the same. So um, I think he knows how fortunate he is with the owners, which is why I'm sure he's already turned down, you know, bigger jobs, if you like, at, at, at big clubs, because he's in a great position there. And he has he has autonomy and he has a group of people who really believe in what he wants to do and uh, a manager that he's worked for quite a while with now. So, um, yeah, they're in a really strong position. And regardless of what happens going into the Premier League at the end of next season, um, they're in a strong position, I think, as they've, they've ever been. And when he came in, did the culture need to change, did you think? Because obviously you're on the inside. As yeah, a... It was weird because there was two or three cycles when I was there because I was there for so long. So when I went in, we had a culture of really young, hungry players that were desperate to... That Norwich was their biggest move. It was like the biggest club they, we'd all played for. Playing in front of twenty five to 30,000 fans every week in League One at the start was incredible. And it just meant so much to everyone. That drove everyone on. And uh, obviously... Paul Lambert was the manager and, and he was great with us. We were a young, fairly young group, gave us a lot of belief, a lot of confidence. So we had a we had a culture of seriously hard work, real togetherness, real collective culture, all the staff, all the players. Um, I feel we had a real identity at the time. And then we got to the Premier League and stayed there and things changed. And any team that gets to the Premier League and stays there for a few seasons will tell you, you know, we, we signed a lot more players from, from abroad, um, a lot of players who've been in the Premier League, but now all of a sudden Norwich wasn't. The, their biggest you know it wasn't the, the be on end or it was the club that would help them get to where they want to get to or they've had a bit of disappointment somewhere else they have to end up at Norwich to try and get going again or whatever and that changes things a little bit so and then by the time Stuart came in again we'd gone through another cycle where we'd realised actually we'd probably lost our way a little bit we got relegated again and then Alex Neil came in and really drove it again I thought we had a brilliant group but then relegation came from the Premier League again and, and that's when obviously Stuart came in halfway well, towards the end of, of that season. And it just got a little bit, a little bit flat. A lot of players who, when you get relegated from the Premier League, feel they should still be in the Premier League. And everyone, everyone in a relegated team thinks they'll get a move back to the Premier League. That's, you know, that's how it works. And um, when people don't, have, there's a lot of disappointment. There wasn't a huge amount of reinvestment back into the team. It was like, we've got a group good enough to get there. And sometimes you need a bit of change. And I do think it was time, it was time for a bit of change. It had gone a little bit flat. Um, but in terms of culture, I think we had a group that still worked hard. I think we had, but it was it was quite it was quite there was too many players that just didn't want to be there really. I think at that point, 
or it wasn't, you know, it didn't mean enough to. So he definitely had to change something. And, um, you know, we had a lot of conversations around that. And, uh, yeah, he was great. He was great at me. You know, I exited the club the season after with the first, Daniel's first season. And even the way he dealt with the dynamic between myself and, and Daniel was, was fantastic, sure, really. It would have been a lot more difficult with, without him. Um, and I respected Daniel's decision that he wanted to go with younger players and, you know, go into a different direction because that's football, that's life. Um, but the way Stuart dealt with it and handled me because of what he felt I'd given to the club over the years was, was fantastic. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I can't speak highly enough of him, really. And did you learn a lot from that experience to take into the job you're doing now as a manager? Yeah, massively. It was the first time in my career that I'd had any real, um, well, that I'd not been playing, that I was not training with the squad. Uh, you know, I, I ended up spending the last six months um, training and trying to help uh, Matt Gill as much as possible with the under-23s, which got, took a lot of, you know, me and Stephen Naismith were over there for a lot, a lot of the time. And I took a lot from it in terms of dealing with disappointment, um, with, with how would I deal with this situation if I was a manager, um, how trying to add as much value to the 23s guys not being over there and being that old bit of cynical pro that you you know I came across a few times early on in my career so trying to add as much value to the young players as possible in that 23s group and we had guys like Adam Ida Max Ahrens Todd Campwell it was a brilliant group and some of them had got a bit frustrated because they felt they they should have been playing senior football by that point and so yeah just just trying to add as much value around the place as possible but I learned a hell of a lot I learned, and then I went to Rangers on loan and learned a huge amount up there brilliant club but needed change and you can see now after the change culturally and performance what, what that's done because you could feel it you could feel it in the place when I was there it was, um, it was on its knees people would, were fed up and tired of you know being um, beaten and, and the negativity around the club um, so yeah it was a really interesting period for me really interesting so I've gone from playing and being captain every single week to not and then going to a different environment completely where the expectation and pressure was huge and, and not being with a group, not being able to live up anywhere near close enough to, to, to live up to it. So it was really interesting and, and learned a lot. Definitely helped me prepare. And by this point, you know, I was, I was, um, I was on my LMA diploma in football management. I'd, I'd finished my A licence and I knew it was what I wanted to do um, eventually to be a manager. So it was really, I, I, I see that period of time probably the most beneficial to me. Yeah. In terms of leadership, culture, the importance of a strong culture. And how I would maybe uh, do it when, when I became a coach or manager. Um, and I was reading some old articles on you today, actually, and it was interesting. I think two main things came across when you were playing. Number one, how you wanted to be a manager from such a young age. I think I read an interview at 27 where you said, I want to be a manager and I want to get the LMA diploma and the pro license by 35. So that was interesting. Where did that come from, do you think, that desire? Um, I don't know. I if I, if I, I mean, I was going to, uh, I coached kids really early on and then I wasn't part of an academy. Um, I was playing on league and I was going to go to America and, and, and on a scholarship and study sports. Sports coach is something I wanted to be involved in the game, basically. And if I wasn't going to play professionally, then I'll try and um, be the best coach I could possibly be. Um, but obviously, during my career, yeah, I, I just wanted to carry on learning. I wanted to do my badges whilst I was playing. So I did and I set myself a goal a long time ago to finish it all by the time I um, finished playing, which I did, thankfully. I finished pro licence uh, in December, uh, just shy of my 35th birthday, so I managed to get that done. Um, yeah, and I, I, I don't know. I'm just fascinated by people. I love football. It's given me so much, um, so I wanted to stay involved in it. And I, uh, yeah, probably people are fed up with me giving 
given me their opinion. So I thought, you know, at some point I want to do it myself. But I just always, always wrote, always wrote down stuff throughout my career, took notes, sessions, things I liked, the way the manager spoke, the message. Um, just fascinates me. Just really interested in in leadership in general, not just in football. And um, yeah, I love the game and I've got a real strong belief in how I want it to be played, how I see it, how what I enjoy. And it's just something I've always set myself a target of doing. And I'm really grateful and and um, fortunate to be doing it at such a such an early age because, you know, I, I thought I'd get there eventually, but it might take some time. And there's so many people who want to do it. So it's a difficult industry to, to get into and even harder one to stay in. So, yeah, I'm really, I am really fortunate for the opportunity. But I think the opportunity was given to me because they felt I was prepared. I think the chairman knew I was on the journey in terms of the coaching badges and it was something I wanted to do. Um, and then when the job became available, it was, I know for a fact it was the staff and the players in the club that, that knew I, you know, I was on that journey. And then they were the ones that I think um, with the chairman instinct and, and their, their endorsement, I think they, they're the ones that got me the job. And was it as you expected it would be when you, when you finally got in there? Um, I don't, yeah, I think I wasn't, I've always expect, expected, uh, well, I didn't get pre-season, so we went in and we were in the relegation zone and I'm playing in the team as well. So it made a really, well, I hadn't been playing for the last four or five weeks, but I was part of the squad. So it was a really interesting dynamic. So I never expected to take it over like that at all. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. It's just dealing with people and seeing when that door closes, how people behave how different they are to the guys that I was with in the dressing room. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it from the start and I'm working with brilliant people um, and who really believe in me and believe in, in the vision of the game, the vision of the culture, all of that from day one, which is fantastic. And I just try, yeah, you just try and be yourself, don't you? So in terms of what, what I expected, I expected it to be really difficult. I expected it to be intense. I'm, I'm really consistent with my emotion and, and the, my belief in the process, but the impatience to try and... I lost my first four games, so like yeah. that was tough. But you have to try and keep everyone believing in the process, but at the same time, you need to try and find a way to, to win to give you enough time to, to stick in it and make sure you get enough time to really follow through with it. So um, that was the battle. I think that was the battle really early on. What I was really fortunate with was that lockdown the first one the season stopped which no one wanted but it gave me a lot of time to reflect on uh, early on as well in my career so rather than waiting to get sacked and then reflect on it which I'm sure will happen at some point I had a, I, we had a lockdown where I was at home with my family and, and we were speaking a lot on Zoom as a group of staff and the players and a lot of time to reflect on what worked really well what was challenging um, what do we need to get better at what are we doing really well you know what are we doing well and where can we improve? And I think that really helped. And what were your main reflections during that lockdown period? I think the main reflections were, you know, are we, we're working hard. Are we working smart enough? Have we given the players too much information at times? Can we, can we clarify even more for, for those guys? How are we going to condition them mentally and physically to play the way we want to play moving forward? Because um, we did compromise on a few things, but... If we're going into a pre-season, let's, you know, let's, let's not compromise on anything. Let's work out during that pre-season, okay, there might be a few tweaks. We need to maybe tone that down a little bit or maybe give them a bit more of, of this. Um, but I think, yeah, the biggest reflection was on 
for myself was about the conversation with the players and, and actually that the pain of some of the conversations was worth it. So about, you know, just being honest and being, being really direct with the players, but in, in a way that, in a way that is, yeah, trying to show empathy and compassion and, and, and in trying to explain it as much as possible from my point of view, because we've had conversations where they really don't agree, but hopefully they respect it because, um, I think every player will tell you at the end of their career they get frustrated with uh, with managers telling them one thing and then doing something else. Um, and some of the conversations made me, you know, feel genuinely sick. With um, this is a convers- this is going to be a tough conversation because, you know, I was in a dressing room with the guys. I really loved the the group we had because I spent time as a player with them, and then to go on the other side and then to have them conversations was really difficult. Um, but after a lot of conversation, a lot of speaking to people, and um, just decided that was the way forward really it's the way to do it and as uncomfortable it is at times I think in the long term it's much better Um, so we try and have we try and have real honesty with with what we do we have a culture of real honesty with the group of players and the staff and yeah the biggest reflection was was, am I leading how I said I would am I enjoying it enough because ultimately what is the point if we're not enjoying it and and how can I enjoy it more and how can I be more more me Um, how can I make it all the things that I said I would when I was writing notes down about other managers and um, when I was playing. So yeah, I think they were the biggest biggest takeaways for me and, and to really reflect. And it definitely improved me, I think. I've got, I've got so much to learn still, so much improvement to make and we're doing the same this summer about how can I, how can I do that? And um, yeah, and the people around me are really honest and, and brilliant with that as well. So it helps. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess it is very good to go back to that point of saying, why did I get into this and what did I aim to do? Because when you're on that hamster wheel of match after match, I guess, you can lose track of that potentially. Yeah, I, um, in, in life, like for me, it's all about purpose and people. So any of the business things I'm in, in, interested or involved in are either, hopefully both, but either the purpose is brilliant and the people driving it are fantastic, which is why I'll get involved if, if they want me to and it's the same with football like I'm not there just because I want a job I want to stay in football I'm there because I want to really try and, and create something that I and everyone involved loves being a part of and, and will look back at the end of their career as a player or will look back and go that's brilliant you know that's that's what we're here for to, to as I said at the end when we all um, have time to sit down and, and reflect on it I just want to remember the good experiences, the, the, the times we shared together. And football is, a, is an incredible way of bringing, has an incredible way of bringing people together and, and um, sharing huge emotions week in, week out, you know, and it's not a normal environment. I don't know any other, many other businesses outside of sport that you can have such highs and lows within the space of a week, two weeks, how different you can feel. And then at the end of the season, when that, all that hard work has been, um, put together if you achieve something you remember that forever you know and you will sit down with someone who you shared that experience with in 20 years time and if you just straight away you feel comfortable you click you, you'll talk about it you know what you've experienced together so um yeah I think for me it's about making sure that everyone's enjoying it really I think it's really easy to get bogged down with football but we're in it's an unbelievable industry to be in it's, it can be ruthless at times but we're all in it fundamentally because we loved game of football. We loved playing football when we were kids. And then over a period of time, over a period of years, you get a bit of fear coached into you or or you just, it becomes nature because you're getting criticised and you have to 
you have to be quite resilient. So you develop a bit of a thick skin. Maybe you switch off a little bit emotionally that uh, to, from where you were at the start. Um, and you can kind of lose your way a little bit. But I've, it's been really important to me that that doesn't happen. That I try and um, try and be grateful and appreciate every moment. And that, even as a player during that period with with uh, at the end at Norwich, you know, it was frustrating. And at times it was when you put your um, when I put my ego to one side, actually, I'm, I'm really grateful. I'm at a great club. There's some great people. I try and help the guys who I'm with currently as much as possible. And at the end, I'll know that we've um, we've done it right and we've got a good relationship. And, you know, I'm still in touch with a lot of people there there now. So hopefully it'll be the same at MK. Yeah. However long we are there, the, the day that we leave or, you know, what we, what we part ways, everyone looks back and goes, that was brilliant. That was a good time. We had a good time and we enjoyed ourselves. And um, yeah, there was something. We stood for something. You have to stand for something, I think. That's really interesting about the enjoyment because I remember I listened to a podcast with Johnny Wilkinson and he said he didn't actually enjoy any of his career while he was in it, while he was playing. Yeah, too many He's times. only looking back where he could. So I can you empathise with that? Yeah, 100%, 100%. I think a really, really high, I couldn't give you a number, but a really high percentage of players would be the same. Really, no wow. about it because of the the so-called pressure that they feel under the some that can't don't have the ability to ignore the noise or um, to sort of park that pressure and put it to one side and use it in in a positive way and just the fear the fear that gets drilled into people throughout the fear of making a mistake the fear of not getting a new contract the fear of um, getting taken out of the team the fear of injury the fear of coming back from injury and not being good enough. There's just too much. So yeah, I, I really, I listened to that podcast the same, same as you did and it was fascinating, really fascinating because I think there's too many that get to the end and go, I wish I played with a bit more freedom. I wish I enjoyed that a bit more. I wish I hadn't taken that for granted. And it's really easy with human beings, like, you know, that you take a lot of things for granted. And um, But yeah, I just constantly trying to remind our players of that, guys, you need to enjoy this. You are all here because you love the game. At some point, you were taught to, to do certain things and everyone that makes it to a first-team environment and plays over a certain amount of games has learned to survive. But um, too many of them just survive. They forget to actually enjoy themselves and try and show what they can really do as well. And it's the biggest frustration for me in football is there's still a lot of that out there. You know, there's, there's a, sometimes a lack of trust in players, sometimes a lack of belief in them. And I get it, it's, you know, managers, coaches, um, supporters, there's self-preservation mode. It is a lot of the time. Football, there's, sometimes there's too much self-preservation. Just be really good at what you, you're doing. Try and enjoy it as much as possible. And of course, there's a problem if you're not giving it everything you've got because then what's the point as well? You know, if you're, if you're here and you've worked so hard and you've sacrificed so much for football, then give it everything you've got. But at the same time, there is a bit of balance when you're, you know, being able to zoom in and zoom out. When you are here at the training ground, you are, that's it. This is laser focus. You're working. You're zoomed in. This is all that matters. Be really present. But when you go home and you relax a little bit, yeah, of course. Zoom out and relax. I don't want you thinking about football 24-7. It's not, it's not the right way to go about it. I was too intense. And that's part of the reason I got to where I did. But also part of the reason why I'm in my mid-20s, I was like, I'm not enjoying this anywhere near enough. You know, I'm worrying about what I'm going to eat for dinner because on a Tuesday, because it's how it's going to affect me on a Saturday. And when I learned to relax a little bit, I, I played much better, yeah. much better. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's the same same now. Being able to zoom in and zoom out is so important. And to try and um, 
encourage our players and, and make them really believe in themselves and, and hopefully enjoy some success with that. Because if you if it's validated and they feel, actually, yeah, I can do this, the more evidence they have that they can do it, the better they'll be. Um, which is why I'm so excited for our group of young players. I really feel there's so many in there of huge potential, just making them believe as much as, as we do in themselves and, and taking that fear away when they step over the white line, which is why we work so hard Monday to Friday on what we're going to be, who we are, how we're going to do things, so that by the Saturday comes, they've probably lived most of the things they're going to experience on a match day in training. And when it comes across the white line, it's they play on instinct. They play with enjoyment. They play with confidence, with good body language, with togetherness, with connection. And I can stand there and, and really enjoy watching our team and then guys play with that, that confidence. And obviously that's the ideal. There's been times it's not going to happen, but it's about making sure that when it doesn't quite work, that we don't just change everything. We don't, change the way we are with the guys. We don't change how we approach our relationship with them. It's about making sure they understand and learn why it happened and what we can do next time to, to make it better, better. And that is the process. You know, we, we analyse, we learn, we practice, and then we perform. And it just repeats again. Then you analyse the performance, then you learn from it, and then you practice again to try and improve, and then you perform again. And in football, sometimes that's two days after the, the initial performance. So it comes quick quick and it's tough and it's intense but let's not lose track of the, the big picture that when we zoom out actually you know let's let's enjoy it because I've always yeah if you don't enjoy it then why are, why are we doing it and is that something you're thinking about in your leadership style all the time then how to get them to enjoy it and have freedom when they play matches as well yeah all the time all the time we say this mistakes pain question um, challenge all of that, let's experience that Monday to Friday together. Let's go through that together. And sometimes it is painful, sometimes it's brilliant. But on a Saturday, we do all of that. So on a Saturday, you guys can go over there with complete confidence in what you're doing, real clarity, what's expected of you. And then, yeah, if the plan works, brilliant. If it doesn't, we will learn and understand why. Because you have 11 players to play against. You have to respect that. And they will have different ways of trying to stop you or beat you or um, dictate, dictate what kind of game it's going to be. And um, but let, at least we know if we don't win, we're going to learn um, because we have clarity in what we're doing. And that's the beauty of not changing for me is that we know what the process we're on. We know the journey we're on. And of course, we have to tweak and adapt it and, and refine it throughout for, for the rest of my career. But the fundamentals don't change and they give us a real platform and basis to analyse from, which makes it really easy for us to learn and hopefully translate that to the guys um, as well and the players have been incredible in the pro they, they know most of the time now what before we, we go into a meeting or whatever what's going to be said and how it's going to be said and, and what we need to do better and they'll answer most of it themselves Superb um, and I was talking about looking through the old cut-ins earlier on the other thing that came across actually is seems like you've never been afraid to be different um, and there were quite a few I don't know how many of the things that are true or not that I read but um, the, first of all you're uh, vegan uh, member of the Green Party. Is that one right as well? What? Yeah. So um, I'll be honest, I dabble with some eggs every now and again. And first, I go like, I was really strict vegan for five or six years. And then I go in and out between, um, yeah, I'll have six months or not of strictness. And then I might have a couple of weeks where I eat some eggs because I really miss them. I don't eat meat ever. I don't eat cheese. I don't drink milk. I don't ever do but eggs. And then sometimes if someone's got a really, uh, Nice bit of fish on a barbecue. I might have a little touch of that, and then I'll and then I'll for six weeks. I'll be like, oh no, what have I done? And then go back. So um, yeah, 
and yeah, the, the, I still get I still get um, joked about the the green party thing, but I just lost um, lost faith in the two big parties. So uh, I think yeah, if you look at the way the country's being, without getting too political, because it's the one thing I think um, it's really easy to discuss without having any without having enough knowledge and without having enough because it's one of those things that you need to be really all in if you're going to have a real opinion you need to be all in on it but um, I think if you look at the way the country's been led for the last however long it's uh, going to be quite a scary place I think we lack um, leaders with empathy and emotional intelligence and uh, yeah so I just decided what, what do they stand for I think Caroline Lucas down here in Brighton obviously is, is a counsellor and she's got unbelievable values and, and morals um, but I'm not like I don't, I don't I'm not a warrior I don't go shouting about veganism and politics and uh but yeah as i said to you earlier if if the people are good and the purpose is is really good then i'll try and support that and that was that was a case with that as well and would you discuss politics with the players and at the club sometimes we discuss it as a group of staff a lot we do yeah the whole you know we we used to watch a lot of uh just from um human being point of view and and personality and, and how people can be influenced you know we watch a lot of the trump stuff um, we had it on in the background a lot instead of Sky Sports News, which seems to be the the choice at every you know every club you go into. There's always Sky Sports News on. It's the same at our place, but on the other TV, it was a lot of the time was uh, you know the ongoing stuff with, with Brexit and Trump and um, leadership here and stuff. So yeah, we all find it quite fascinating. We all have quite interesting uh, chats about it. Because you always see it on Twitter, don't you? With like Gary Lineker, people say stick to football, but yeah, we're all human yeah, beings, I, aren't yeah, we? So. Yeah, I had yeah, exactly. Why why would we not be interested in in um, the world and and how people are going to be treated and and the direction it, it moves in? Um, so I always got that. Even when I was started to get involved in other things outside of football, you know, a few people are going to take away from your football. No, it's not. Like I'm, there's going to be a long time of me in my life where I'm not a football player anymore. Mm. So the more I can do that I'm interested in, the, the better. And it just doesn't affect my performance. I'm not out till one o'clock in the morning, you know, like that's, that would affect me, but I'm actually just getting involved in something that I'm passionate about. And which is why I've ended up doing the things I'm doing outside of football. So yeah, I think that's an old school mentality that, and you see a lot of footballers now are involved in, in other things. And if it can make them better people, better business people, you know, they have an understanding of, of trying to, lead other people or being involved with another team outside of football, then I think it can only be a good thing. And you have a more holistic approach and, a, and a hopefully a more rounded human being at the end that doesn't rely on being a footballer as his sole identity, which is why so many struggle when they get to the end because they've been known or have known themselves as a football player for so long. And when that ends and that's gone, that can be a real struggle. And now I've seen that. I'm sure every footballer has seen it or even felt it at, at certain points. So yeah, you, there has to be more out there. You know, yeah. there, has to, there has to be more. It's as simple as that. I read another interview. They asked your favourite book. I think it was when you were first at Norwich. And oh, sorry, what you were reading at the time. You said the Buddha, Jeff, and me, which is not a typical footballer's answer. Yeah, what what was that book about? Can you remember? I've got your copy as well, by the way. I need to send you. It, oh, was that? Yeah, brilliant. Oh, was that the one uh, we spoke about? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. So, ah. yeah, my brother practiced Buddhism for a long time and still does every now and again. And, and when I say practice, you know, meditation, chanting daily, just good. Um, so I was quite fascinated by it, quite interested in it. And it was something that actually I did quite a, li- a lot through my career in terms of visualisation, manifestation, goal setting. I'll put it out there. I'm not a huge fan. I completely respect it. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of organised 
religion. So I was kind of like when my brother was going, you need to come along and find out. I was like, I don't know if it's for me. So anyway, I did in the end. And um, I started by reading this book. And it's, um, yeah, it's about a guy who, who no one would realise it practices Buddhism. He's just a guy who goes to the pub. You know, he, he smokes, he drinks. He's, he's just a good guy. Um, and then they actually start talking to him and understanding more about his life and realizing how much value he's got to add to other people. And it's a brilliant book. It's just about this, you know, his journey, um, about someone going in and talking to him regularly and finding him fascinating. And, and, and it just, I, I read a lot of it and thought actually yes, this makes a lot of sense. So yeah, it was something I've been involved in for a, a while on and off, um, not the organized side of it, but the way it is, um, and you know, it's not monks sitting there in silence. It's, it's Buddhism for the modern, modern day world. And the, and the, yeah, cause and effect. Karmic retribution, karma, the more good you put into the universe, the more you'll get, the law of attraction. Um, and the Buddhists call it the mystic law of the universe. But for me, whenever you talk, you can read any self-development or self-improvement book, and they always say the same things. It's about what you put out, what you put in, you get back. If you are giving positivity to people, if you are helping people, if you have altruistic intentions and it's not for your own ego, eventually when you, you, when you need it, you're going to get it back. And And... It, it makes sense to me. You know, I try and I try and teach it to my kids now about being kind, about having compassion for people, respecting people that everyone's been on a journey, you know, that you see some people and it's really easy to judge, but try not to be judgmental. That's something I still work on now. And I try and you know, often when I realise, but it's about being self-aware enough to realise you're being judgmental. So um yeah, without getting too deep, because it's probably that's that interesting, really interesting. Yeah, we could talk about it for hours, but um yeah, yeah the Buddhist view of things about the more trouble the more struggle you've been through the more tough the more hard times the more potential for beauty they're still you know even through the darkness they can they can still be light at the end of the tunnel and i look at that and and when i relate it to our team or some of them guys have been through really tough times some of these guys come from really tough backgrounds and it's about trying to allow them to flourish and and reach their potential and it is it's about maximizing potential through being a good human being. That is the, the bottom line. So it's not about relying on any person. It's about, and when, when Buddhists chant or meditate about trying to switch off and be really present with, with yourself, with what's around you, um, but also having, you're allowed to have, you're allowed to have dreams, you're allowed to have wishes, you're allowed to have thoughts and, and taking time to think about them and really visualize them. And it's something I talk about to, to our players a lot about visualization, about making sure you know what you want or where you want to get to. And trying to make that happen, you know, manifestation is huge. Anyone, you, you, the old thing about Jim Carrey wrote himself a check for ten million dollars for acting services rendered, and then four, right? <laughs> four or five years later, he got a ten million dollar check for the mask. So, yeah, I really believe in in that stuff. Yeah, and I read a lot about different things, and, and you're always working out different stuff. But uh, yeah, it's something I'm I'm really interested in. It's about people, and it's about trying to be have as m- many good intentions as possible. I think I don't use it. I don't use anything to, I don't, I think the minute you rely on something or need something, it becomes uh, a problem. So it's something I enjoy doing. It's something I like. If I don't do it, I don't do it. If I do, brilliant. But it's been about aware and, and trying to stick to certain values that I'm really comfortable with. Brilliant. I'll look forward to reading that. Yeah, you have to let me know. Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, and just finally, I think we've got a good idea of, all the influences on your sort of managerial philosophy, really. Um, Because you talked earlier in the season, didn't you, about, I think someone said, have you got a plan B? And you said no to make the plan A better. We're not going to forsake our principles. Um, 
So that was very interesting. Yeah, and that's something you've stuck to, is it, throughout? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's been really interesting um, journey this season because, I, you know, even by people around me, I was getting called idealist and stubborn. People I'm really close to and, and really trust their opinion and judgment. And then trying to convince them, actually, no, this is why. This is, and then they're going, oh, okay, yeah, that makes more sense. And then when I was getting asked about it a lot by the media, I thought, you know what, I'm going to have the same conversation I've had with my best mate over the over the dinner table when we were arguing about it. And, um, yeah, I just think we have a plan A because we really believe in it. So this is the way we're going to do things. This is how we're going to – this is why. And explaining the why to people is really important because they need to understand it. You know, the Simon Sinek thing of starting with why, the golden circle makes sense. So um, – yeah, start with why and, and and then work off that. So this is why we're doing it. This is why I really believe in it. This is the process that I think will get us there eventually. There's going to be some pain because it's a big change. It is different. A lot of the players haven't played this way before. A lot of people find it naive or or scary because it is different. But if we if we really believe in it and we really enjoy the process, then let's stick with it, you know, otherwise... You just jump in. What plan B? What then? Plan B doesn't work. No, okay, we'll jump to plan C. Oh no, we'll go back to plan A. No, that's not. What What do you stand for then? What? How am I going to learn? How am I going to improve doing that? Um, and if I ever, I said, if I get sacked, I would do it doing it my way, and I'll be happy with that. I'll be comfortable with that. I'd be fine. I'm not going to be happy getting sacked, of course, but I'll be comfortable, and I'll be able to work out eventually what what should we have done better. Maybe what could we have compromised on? As we spoke about earlier, what could we have tweaked a little bit? But the plan B suggests that actually, you know, that's something completely different. So the plan is what we are doing and we tweak it all the time. So that's why I was getting frustrated. Because if you watch our team, we change the formation. We change certain bits of how we do things for certain games, in possession, out possession. So it's not like we were, this is the team, this is how you're going to play every single week. No, we are aware of how this team might come and press, how they did it against us last time. So we'll work on things all week around being better at certain stuff that we weren't good at in the first game for instance, or last week. So we're always working to try and improve. So I just got a bit frustrated, actually. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. We are passing the ball a lot. We are trying to dominate possession because every time we have the ball, the opposition can't score. We're having a lot of touches in the opposition box. And at this minute in time, we had the most touches in the opposition box in the league throughout the season. But we didn't always turn that into a good chance. So yeah, of course we're going to work on that. And we we conceded too many early goals. We worked out, well, well, we slowly worked out what the reasons were for that and the anxiety around it with the players. And then that stopped happening towards the end of the season. But it is a process. But not at any point did we say, lads, we're not good enough to do this. We're going to change this. Because where do you go from there? Where do you go from there? So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's my instincts, how I feel. And it's how we want, I want us and we want us, to, the, the, my colleagues, completely support it how we want to play and we have a real identity I'm really proud of it we haven't been good enough in certain things but we are trying to improve and hopefully next season we'll improve again and we will do that using plan A and tweaking it and adapting it and trying to do it really really well because as I said the process then becomes easy because then we can analyse it we'll learn from it we'll practice it and we'll perform so um, and the more we get in tune with that and the, and the quicker we can adapt and learn the better we, we will be and I believe what we have now is a group of players who fully understand the why really buy into how we do it and, and what it's going to take to get them there. The daily behaviours, the values of the team, the, the mentality of the team, the physical conditioning that we need to play that way, which is why I'm really excited, not just for us as a group, but for those players as well, because I see so many with so much potential and hopefully we can help them 
them flourish and enjoy and go on to bigger and better things. And if we can, if we're able to do that all together at some point, then that'll be the most, you know, it'll be the most beautiful way of doing it. But um, yeah, as I said to you, I just, I, I just try and enjoy it. And by the time I'd ranted at that point, the season's been quite um, advanced and um, just, I was a bit tired. I was a bit tired. To be honest. It was like, and I'm tired of answering the same thing because fundamentally, there is, and there is not one way of playing and then another way of playing. There's not like no possession, defend, count. Everything's different. It's so variable. It's so, you know, teams change. It can be direct teams that can still play. It'd be direct teams that are playing for percentages. And it wasn't, that wasn't the point I was trying to make. But the point I felt that they were getting to was maybe stop passing. That's, that was the point. So oh, a lot of passing and not really doing much with it or you're having a lot of possession but you're getting beat but yeah we could have we could have really little possession and get beat as well then then we're you know that's the point so it was um, yeah it was just about making sure the players knew that I was that's it I really believe in them to do it this way and making sure that the people outside of it as well including the board including the fans no no this is how we're doing it so the players are all in hopefully you guys are all in I'm all in um, and we'll make it work. We'll yeah. make it work by just being better at what we do. And we're not going to change. And, and which is what I felt there it was getting to was like, come on, just put big striker on and put it in the box and do that a bit more. And that's where I felt it was getting to. So um, because I kept getting asked about it. And that's why I sort of went really strong with it because I was just getting a bit frustrating. So I felt it's just this, the players were doing so much and there was so much evidence to suggest they were doing so much right. And it was just... It's like, you know, it's pushing the rock up here when eventually it gets there and then many it will become like that. And I felt it was like that. Towards the second half of the season, we had, I think, the third best four in the league for the whole second half of the season. So, um, and there's still so much we can get better with. So, yeah, it was, uh, I think, just just basically reaffirming my trust in the process. I think people have got bored of me saying that. But, um, yeah, ignore the noise, trust the process and enjoy the journey. That's that's our that's our thing. And, and if we can do that, then, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be really, really happy. Yeah. People said it to Guardiola, though, didn't they? After his first season, you can't play like this and win titles in England. Yeah. Um, you know. What is that about? What is this thing about? You know, it's, this is... In, and I understand it. Like, the whole the British mentality of football has been for so long. Like, we're tough. We roll our sleeves up. We fight. Why can't you do both? Yeah, we need to pass the ball as well. We've had some amazing teams in, in England, though. You know, I look back at the teams that dominated possession and won so many titles, Man United just controlled game, Arsenal under to Wenger and then um, obviously Guardiola does it in a, in a different way um, and it's incredible. I love watching it. I think it's a, such a, a beautiful way of playing the game. Sometimes it's going to go wrong, yeah, but I think he's proven now, although the Champions League final, but he's proven now that you can do it that way and uh, so many, of the, I think he's improved so many of the players, the English players as well. So, um, yeah, I love that. If you, if you ask me what team I'd like to watch more than anyone, it would be them. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for your time, Russell. Really enjoyed that. No problem at all. Thanks, Simon. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with another episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on the website or on Twitter at ground underscore guru.